Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmayla. This is David Lichtenstein. This week, our share will be Hilchus Tzedakah, in particular, who owns a Yeshiva? Who owns a Shul? Over the last number of years in the Lower East Side, you know, it's a shrinking community. So there are shuls that there's nobody around them anymore. But the real estate in the Lower East Side has really skyrocketed. So you have these shuls. Suddenly the land under them is worth $10 million, $15 million. One is worth $25 million. What happens? Well, who owns it? The old board says, let's sell it. You know, maybe they want to take the money, use it for a library, maybe some other, Davashebe Kedusha school. Maybe they just want to pocket it. Well, Lahalacha, are they allowed to? Who owns a yeshiva? You have a Rosh Yeshiva, he built his yeshiva, he worked at it for many years, 20 years, 30 years. He wants to move to Eretz Yisrael, and what does he want to do there? Open a yeshiva over there. Is he allowed to, or the Bachram allowed to say, well, you know, we learn here, we want to learn here, we don't want to be moved. You can't sell the building, you can't take it. We'll be talking about these as well as many other Shilas during our program. Additionally, the Chabad Library. Who does it belong to? Does it belong to the family? Or does it belong to the Tzibur, to the Hasidus? These are really complicated Shilas and uh, very case-specific. Additionally, what type of pension? Somebody worked at a yeshiva for 20 years, 30 years. Is he allowed a pension? It would seem he should be. It's certainly very hard work. But how much is too much? Recently, a president of a major institution resigned, and he got a $21 million payout. Is that excessive? So I spoke to Shimmy Glick, who's, you know, arguably one of the top handful of Balei Tzedakah in the world. And he said, you know, I was talking to him about my shalos. He said, you should make a Hagdama, that these are rare cases. For the most part, Meistis, they have tremendous Mesiris Nefesh. They work, the Rabbanim, the Rosh Hashivas, the Rabbeim, they live in, for the most part, Mamish B'Tzimtzum. And these cases are the exception, but they make, you know, interesting halacha and they are relevant. Who are our guests? We go back to, when we have Chayish and Mishpat Shailos, monetary Shailos, this is really Mod Yaradeh and Chayish and Mishpat. We got Reb Zalman Graus, certainly one of the preeminent experts. He'll talk to us about some of the Dine Torah that he had about these very topics. And here's something interesting that he said at the end of our conversation. I thought it was poignant. Gemachem is unfortunately every period of time. He, this Gemach went bankrupt, that Gemach went bankrupt. You give people, a person, millions of dollars. Millions, you call it gemach, and he or his one of his workers start, not because they want to steal. He heard Moshe told him that this stock will go from a dollar to $20. And here is millions of dollars done. Nothing is being done with that. He has a very tentative to go and invest this stock will go from a dollar to 20, you know. The money is stamped here in Gmach. And end up that this goes from a dollar to zero. And it, it, in a lot, a lot of people lost their money. And they didn't give even, they didn't give any authority to invest the money. They didn't give authority only to borrow a small amount of money with guarantee. And that is un, very unfortunate situation but it's, it's a painful, very painful people that saved the lifetime of money. They they saved it for a chasen, for yosem, or a stomach chasen for these kids. He put it away every month. He puts it in a gemach. The gemach should hold it. When the time comes, he wants to marry off his daughter. And this 
who sees the Gemara that is there a half a million dollars or millions of dollars for many people together, that's all poor. Most of them are poor people, poor, relatively poor. And he sees it looks years and years. He has nothing what to do with that. He tries to invest it. That is the, that's a terrible problem. Now, since all nonprofits are 501c3s, that's the chapter of the, you know, the federal tax rules that they work under, and they are overseen by the Attorney General of New York, or depending on which state you are, which means in, in all not-for-profit corporations, legally, there are no owners. The owners, the only owner is the Tzibur, is the people, and that is represented by the Attorney General. So we got the ex-Deputy Attorney General of New York, Avi Schick. He represents Aguda very frequently. He's both a Ben Tyra as well as a superb lawyer, and he's going to discuss uh, some of the laws of 501c3 and how they relate to a show. We will also have Rebbe Liezer Zakhlokovsky, a Chabad historian, Shliach, uh, Musmach, who will talk about how when the Machloikas came to be about who owns the library of Chabad, the uh, Rebbe's children or grandchildren, or the Hasidim, they paskin punkt fakert, that it doesn't belong to the Rebbe, notwithstanding that we're going to, you know, usually when you go to a tzaddik, we're going to bring from the uh, Ravosna, he says, when you go to the Ger Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when you give them money, you're not doing it conditionally. You're saying, do whatever you want with it. Yet, the best in the Apaskia, no, it belongs to the Hasidim, which is, seems to be counterintuitive. And Rabbi Zakhokovsky will explain to you why they in this way. And ultimately, the court found that way too. We will have Rabbi Shmuel Shmuel Rottenberg, a Dayan from Flatbush. He will talk about who are the Balabatim. We'll hear another opinion. Who are the Balabatim of Meistis? All in all, should be a really fascinating halachashir. Before we go to our guests, I want to talk about Parshas Mishpatim. Eila Mishpatim, Shatasim Lefneim. These are the Parshas of Dayanim, of Mishpat, rules, laws, judgment. So there's fascinating morale. The morale says, this is the Gemara in Saita says, Mahu Afata. It says under Rabbi Nishalom, just as he acts so, so should you. Mahu Mal Basharumim. Afata Mal Basharumim. He clothes the naked. He feeds the hungry. Mahu Mavakir Chaylim. He visits the ill, you should too, afata. But the morale says, it doesn't say, mahu shayfet rishayim, afata tishbeit rishayim. The morale says something amazing. He says, the mahu afata is only on kindness, on chasadim. When it comes to mishpat, din, to judge others, mahu shayfet rishayim afata, on that there's no mahu afata. There's no achri hashem alikechem telchu when it comes to that. And the question is, why? Why am I not supposed to judge others? So, there's a beautiful vart from the Balshemtiv. The Balshemtiv says like this. He asked the question. He says, I, we've said this in the past, but it's so powerful. He says, David HaMelech, he has, uh, falls in love with Bathsheba. She's married to Uriachiti. He sends him to the front lines. He's killed there. He marries Bathsheba. So, Nasan Anavi comes to David. And he tells him a story. He says, there was once this fellow. He had a wealthy fellow. He had, you know, fields full of sheep. In the olden days, you know, and in the days of agriculture, the fellow who had the most sheep is like the technology guy of today. And he had a neighbor who had one little Shepsala, and he wanted that Shepsala. So what did he do? He stole that Shepsala, and he shechted it, and he ate it, even though he had thousands, and he broke the heart of the other person. He was So David got up from his throne, and he said, Mice, you must, this person, this evil rich man should die. So Nassim says to him, and what about you? You have 18 wives, plus Pilagshim. He had one wife, Uriah. How could you do this to him? You did to him, just like the Shepsala. And it said, David sat down on the ground, and he was, and he wrote, Kapitel Nun Aleph, or Rabbi Nuyayna calls, the Yisoyed of Tshuva, Kapitel Nun Aleph, right? 
So the question about Shem Yassi says, why did Nassim have to make up this Baba Misa? I mean, David HaMelech was, you know, he's, you know, David Malcolm Mashiach, he should have come in and he should, you know, how did you do it? It's a terrible thing, you know. It's, so he said, the, so the, the Baal Shem said, you know why? It's really hard to judge another person. I mean, do you really know this nature? What his nature gave him? Nurture? You know, his, what type of parenting did he have? Schools? What type of teachers? Who affected him? Who, t- who hurt him? Who hit him? What's his DNA like? What does Shidduchim stresses a person could have? Insecurities. Who knows the trauma of other people? So he said, there's only one person who could judge another person. You know who that is? The person themselves. Nobody else can. So he created this fictional story of the sheep, like the identical story to what he thought happened with David. And David got up and he said, Mois Yumas. He said, Mois Yumas. How could you have done that then? We can't judge others. What does it say? Hamishpat lelekimhu. And what does Ramban say? It's only the Rabbi Shalom who could do mishpat. But he says, we who do mishpat, we do it as his shliach. But really, we shouldn't be doing mishpat. It's only because the Rabbi Shalom empowered Dayanim to be his shliach, because otherwise the world would go upside down. You know, the Gemara says that, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Gemara says in Eretz Yisrael, they have Dayanim musmachim. What does it mean, Musmach? From Moshe all the way back to Kaviyachal. It says, Rabbi Shalom put his hand, was Saimach Moshe. Moshe was Saimach Yeshua. Smicha goes all the way down through all the Dairis, all the Dayanim in Eretz Yisrael. That's what it means, Musmach. Ishmi Piyish. Why? Because we shouldn't be judging others. Hamishpat Lelekimhu. But on the other hand, we know Dayanim are also called the Nikra of Balabais El Elohim. In this week's parsha, a Dayan is also called Elohim. Why is he called Elohim? Because he's acting with the agency of Kaviyachal. He's a Musmach. And in Chutzlars, the Gemara says, how we allow to paskin in Chutzlars, we're not Musmach. Only one way, because Shlichusayu Kavdina. We're doing the Shlichus of those who are Musmach in Eretz Yisrael. So ultimately, judgment comes down. Really, the only way to do it is through Kaviyachal. Listen to this story. You know, in the 60s, in the summer, on my way to Israel, I would always stop in Europe without mentioning names of the city. There was one chassidische besmedrish, give me a little taste how Europe was before the Second World War. And especially Shabbos morning, the downing was so good. I'm walking in Shabbos morning to the synagogue. And the chazan has no voice at all. Not only doesn't have a good voice, his songs make no sense. And he can't even read, he's skipping words. I was so disgusted. It was clear to me, most probably a rich man, and he wants to be the cantor, he wants to be the chazan, gives a few rumors to the synagogue and they let him pray. And I thought, oh, how disgusting. I decide I'm not going to daven with them. I go in a corner and daven by myself. But you know when they take out the Torah, you want to kiss the Torah? I walk up to the beamer and open your hearts, friends. I saw the chazan holding the Torah and two people are holding the chazan. I asked somebody, why are they holding him? And they said to me, don't you know? He's the blind cousin. He was one of the greatest tenors in Europe before the war. He was the cousin in Lemberg. It was in Auschwitz. He 
lost his voice. He lost his eyes. I looked at him. I saw scars over all over his face. They whipped him over his face. I was so ashamed of myself. He kept on telling me he didn't want to daven anymore. He says, I don't know the words. People said, no, we remember you're davening from Lemberg. Please honor us one more time. I mean, friends, can you imagine how he was praying? I'll never daven like this on Yom Kippur. I was so ashamed of myself. So when he passed by with the Torah, instead of kissing the Torah, I kissed his hands. And you know, Nishomal and Darwin, sometimes you at the end, God have compassion upon you. I absolutely didn't have a place for myself anymore. When I kissed his hand, he turned to the people who were with him and he says, Who kissed my hand? They said, Shlomo Kalbach. He stopped and he says, Shlomo, I like your melodies. Give me back my soul. So the Baal Shem finishes, he says, Nifroin min adzam, midaitoi v'shaloi midaitoi. He's a person who's paid back, midaitoi v'shaloi midaitoi. He says, what's the shaloi midaitoi? He says, when, just like in the case of Nas and Hanavi, he didn't know that he was setting up his own judgment when he said that story. But after he set it up, then David said, you're right. But ultimately, the only person who, the only person who can judge another person is himself, unless you're acting as a shliach of Kaviyachal. You know, I was speaking to, uh, Somebody told me a beautiful story. Maya did, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Jacobson. This fellow says he was in Uman. And uh, he sees by the caver of, by uh, Rabbi Nachman, there's a boy standing there, like a, a red-headed boy. Long, he has long red payas and a ponytail. And this guy says, you know, I, I wanted to come to Uman, but I, I knew Sefaltnish, you know, interesting people. And what do I bump into? A guy with long payas and a ponytail. So over the course, he was there for a few hours, he ended up speaking to the guy, and he said to him, listen, you know, are you talking like you have long payas and a ponytail, this red-headed boy? So the boy tells him something interesting. He says, you know, I'm, I'm a satmar boy, and my, my parents struggle with me. I was in the hospital, and there's a girl there, and she's crying. What is it? She's going for cancer treatment, and they're going to, sh- or surgery, and they're going to have to cut all her hair off, and it's going to be off for a while because of the uh, chemo. And I saw her hair is the same color as mine. And I was listening and I went over and I said, you know, I'm going to grow my hair out and give it to you because your hair is going to be very hard to replace this color. And it caused a tremendous menuchas hanefesh by the girl. So he said, I knew that if I grew long red hair, my parents, who as it is, have difficulty with me, this would be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So he says, I came to Uman and I said, I'm going to stay here for six months. My hair will grow out. I'll cut it off. I'll send it to her. And then I'll go back home. And this guy said, it hit him like the ton of bricks, how he judged this person. And after hearing the story of why the person did it, he said, wow. So what did we say? The only way we should be done is if we're doing shlichusayu, or if we're a musmach. But like this, the daily judgments we do about you know, our friends, our children, our parents, our siblings, our kids, and even about ourselves. Kadmainim you know, say a person should not judge themselves evilly too. What does it say this week's parsha? When the Dayanim do it, they do it with shlichus of kaviyachal. Right, the musmach all the way back to Moshe, but to judge another person as a bechinam, senishkin sheinazach, nothing to be proud of.
Let's go to our riddles of the week. So this week we're going to give a, a prize. The Mishnah Reina Chelik Aleph came out. It's it's uh, three volumes. It's three and two. There's one volume that's just on Hilchus Phil and the Safras, Simon Lamed Beis. So the the three people who we think answered the, the questions most originally, thoughtfully, will Bline to send them the three chalakim. It's in Yusfarim stores. I don't know how long it's going to last. We printed 5,000. There were 4,000 sold in Eretz Yisrael. They sold in two weeks without advertising. It was considered one of the best-selling, you know, I guess, a, but I'm just talking about the sales. We sent 1,000 to America. I don't think they're going to last long. So if you go to your local Yusfarim store, and I'm, it's the only safe with a money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, I'll buy back from you. Let's go to our riddles. Famous Rashi. Rashi says, if you go to a Goyish court, we don't go to court. That's what the Shulchan Aruch Paskin Simen Chavav. Here's the question. We hold Dina the Malchus Adina. We don't the Attorney General today, the Deputy Attorney General. And Bekol Divri HaMelech Yechayev L'Kaimai. And it's a din daraisa. Ayin dvar avram, chelik aleph. And according to many Rishonim, the Ramah brings in Shin Samachteshes, Dina the Malchusa is not just by Misim, but all Tzivuyi HaMelech. King wants the businesses run properly, he wants traffic run properly, etc. So l'chayra, if it's a daraisa, Dina the Machusa Dina. When a guy comes to court, it's not because he's Miyakar Salilam, but it's because we are Machuyev to listen to their rules. And when there's a dispute over their rules, we go to the court system to hear the answer on what did the Dina the Malchusa really mean? What was, what did the king, what did this Malchus really intend? So why does it show Miyakar Salilam, Fakert, and being Makayim the Daraisa of Dina the Malchusa Dina? That is riddle number one. Here is riddle number two. Each one is a little bit harder, I think. In Bemachteris, Yimotze Aganif, the Shulchan Aruch in Shinchav Tezayin brings that if Bo Nochrim, Nochrim came, they attack a city, you're allowed a Machalas HaShabbos to fight them. So the Magan Avram, Mishnabur brings him to, says that this din is Dafka when they're Boal Atzibur. But if they come on a Yachid, they attack a Yachid's house, what's the Lachid? Give him the money. Don't be Machalas HaShabbos. Don't pick up a knife, a gun, call the police. Just say, yeah, take what you want. You know that if you take what they want, then they're only interested in your money. They're going to leave. It's a Pella. What do we say in the Sugya of Baba Machteris, our Pasik Chafbez Aleph, right? The Gemara in Sanhedrin, that if somebody comes to kill, you're, he has a din of a raidif, and you don't have to give him your money. Why? Because you say, Adam Baal Alma a person's going to want to protect his money. Why? By a Baba Machteris, what do you say? He has a din of a raidif, by a Yachid, and you say, you're allowed to kill him. And you don't say, here, take the money, take the money, and, and save, and save the raidif's life. You say, hey, just take my money. You say, no, if I care, stick up for it. Protect yourself. Defend yourself. Be, be over, not be over, but be right, say, but on Shabbos, by Goyim, what do we say? No, if I care, don't be Michalos or Shabbos. Give up the money. Give up the money not to be Michalos or Shabbos. Don't give up the money to save on Ritzicha. What's the difference? Why? And here is the third riddle. Everybody knows, says, the parsha of, of Shemer Sacher is this week, Chafbez Testri Aleph. Everybody learns Gemara knows. The concept of Prutud Rav Yosef. If you're a Shemer Aveda, you get it, you're watching an Aveda, you're doing it for free, you should be a Shemer Chinam. You become a Shemer Sacher because of Prutud Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef's Bechadish. If an Ani would come and ask the Tzedakah, you would say, I'm being, I'm Oisik, B'mitzvah, I'm Patah, I'm Mitzvah, and I don't have to give you Tzedakah, so you would save a penny. That makes you a Shemer Sacher.
Here's the question. Prove to Rav Yosef and accept that Allah, why don't we say, you don't see in any of the Rishonim, that there are many cases, you wouldn't have to give tzedakah, lamashal, an ani gomer, and Reish Pem Tesset says, is patah menat tzedakah. If somebody already gave a chaymish, he's patah from tzedakah. Why don't you say, when do we say the dinner of to Rav Yosef? That you're patah, you become a shamer sachar, because you're patah from tzedakah, you save the pruta, dafka, by somebody who's mechuyiv at that moment in tzedakah. But if you're one of the cases where at that moment you would be patah menat tzedakah, there would be no dinner these halachas are not benimts anywhere. Nobody says these chilukim. There's no asterisk on the side. Prutu Rav Yosef, except if all these cases, why not? That is our third riddle. These are hard riddles. Um, we have an oilam of a lot of Talmudichachamim. The three people we think got them, answered them best. We'll get the three volumes of Mishnah Reina. They're going to sell very quickly, so you may be the only person on your block who has one. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 33-011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our wonderful program. Joining us from Borough Park is Rabbi Zalman Grouse. He was for many years a Magachir in Bells. He was the editor of the Yitzhak on Ebenezer. He's the Mechaber of Habori Vashema, Meni Chalakim, Birchaz Halechem, the Kolboy for Hilchas Erevin. He is arguably one of the top handful, three, four, five experts in Kishor Chayish uh, Mishpat in America, maybe the world, an expert on Bezdin procedure, a Dayan and a, and a Tzai and a Boyer. Welcome, Rabbi Grouse. Good morning. Morning. So let me ask you a few questions and be the rabbi here, teach the ilam, just using your broad experience. And uh, this happens to be Arachayim also and Yeradeya. Is the money of a yeshiva or a shul private money or is it moyes of tzedakah? You're asking a general question. And there is uh, a common denominator in, our, uh, in many of our interviews that I have to put it, make it clear as much as possible. There are halachas that we have to determine what and when it was said. As, as I told you, Altas is told for Dayonim, or for Dayonim in this particular case, or Dayonim that has a position as a Dayan, but not for people, Amcho people. Amcho people may and have and should be an Orach Dayonim. The same thing what I told you about about Kabbalah's Eidesh Leibbeth that is said in a bezin, the form of a bezin. But if I ask you information about a doctor that I want to go to, you may tell me they should not go. It's not a Kabbalah's Eidesh, it's not an Edmi Ed, because you heard from Moshe Yankel that's a terrible doctor. That has nothing to do. Even if I gave him a name, bezin, it doesn't mean that they're a bezin only when appointed by the city. That's mean by the community of the city, that by the tzibur, in our time, we don't have an organized tzibur. And in the old time, the shul or a yeshiva, almost this chesed, everything was built and established by the community at large. That doesn't mean that everybody took a part in it, but it was by the memune who ear. 
it was established. That's called Nechsat Sibur, but also I have to make it very clear as much as possible. The Nechsat Sibur is not Nechsat Shutfim. It's a big difference. Shutfim, if I have shares in a company, I may move to Honolulu. I'm still an owner in this company. I'm getting debit dividends. And my kids get Yorshim, the Yorshim are being divided in the dividends. If somebody has one kid, he gets the entire dividend. And if he has 10 kids, it's being divided by 10. But next tzib is not so. If I have 10 kids, every child is entitled for a seat in the shul. And this has one kid, is only one kid is entitled. If I move away, I lose my rights. If some people, new people, coming in the city, taking they they sitting there for a month or for a year, whatever the law is, they becoming all the rights of tzibur, right of voting, right of tzedakah, whatever, right for a seat, whatever tzibur has, some people have a right. In our time, is no organized tzibur at all. Therefore, if you're talking, we have to differentiate what to talk. Sometimes there is community shul, for example, the community takes money and organizes the shul. That's the closest what I may give to the old time. But if somebody, it's called a rabbi or a Rosh Hashiva or Rofa, wants to say a shir and he builds the shul for himself, that's mean that's a totally different kind of halacha and a different kind of yeshiva. When you have to talk about it, if you're asking a specific question about if somebody built a yeshiva, somebody built a shir or a community built a shir, that is different and if you want, I should talk about that, or you have more questions, I may elaborate on it, because there's a lot of details in it. So let me let me see if I could summarize what you said. You said the Shulchan Aruch basically talks about B'nai Yer Shabanu, B'nai Yer Shabanu, B'nai Yer. This is a, a city, a, a very large community, and that's at Sibur, and they make a show, and that is clearly belongs to that community. When an, it does, the Shulchan Aruch does not discuss the case where an individual decides to build in his first floor, or he's going to build his own yeshiva, it's not discussed by the Shulchan Aruch, and therefore it would be different than the halachas that are discussed. Halachas, it would seem, Rabbi Grassam, if this is correct, it would seem that it's totally in the intent of the donor body. So when a community does it, the community is doing it. We are all building something together. It's 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 moise of tzedakah. When a, a particular rebbe wants to build something in his in his house, so even a, a leader in his own yeshiva, it's possible that the donors are not giving it as a community, but they're being tully bedas echad, and therefore the differences of if it's only tully and you would be substantially different than if it's a, a community. Is that what you're saying? Close to it, almost. I will only give it a little bit more explanation. Maybe we'll have more clarity. There is three components in usually in the natural is being built: the donor, the organizer, and the purpose for whom it's being used. And we have to take always in these three purposes. There is a fourth or maybe it's one of the three in, in the Gemara, there's another exception. There is a city, but there's an exceptional godl what lives in the city. And people come around and only the from the godl, like he has a yeshiva there, and they donate in the tzibur. They give it the money for the gaboa tzibur. But we estimate that everything that's being done there is being al das dem godl, das ravash. That is, that means we're doing al-dat-oy. Even though I give it for the tzibur, 
we in our time have only, only the, we can have most of the time we have only the godl and not the tzibur. That's mean. Even we don't have to say godl in, in the term what the chazal means. When we say godl means relatively. In, in many places in Shekhnoch, it's not written even the godl, the big rose. But even that is a proportional term. A proportional term means that we, if there's a tzibur, I give it for the tzibur. No, there's an exceptional godl. The godl is multiple, multiple more. It's come of a camel than the tzibur. Even in camels and in eiches, we give it chashiris. But when there is no tzibur, is everybody is is a godl. The gabak, the gabak, nobody. If somebody donates, is donates it al tnai, al datoy from he gives over sole discretion. Doesn't mean he gives in person. But he gives him discretion, sole discretion, whatever he should be done with it. So that Graus, is... So you're referring, uh, I just want to tell the Olam, that he's referring to the Gemara and Baba Bas friends of Tess, where the Gemara says that you always have to give it Tznai, you know, you can, you, if you give it for Beis HaKnesses, it would have to be a Tznai that you could also use it for Beis HaMedrash, otherwise they could only use it for Beis HaKnesses. The Gemara says the exception was Ravashi, who says when they gave it to me, they gave me the authority to use it for any type of tzedakah that I wanted to use it. Right, that's the Gemara you're referring to. So Rabbi Graus mm-hmm. is saying that it doesn't necessarily refer to Ravashi, because like the Mishnah already says, he says, we don't consider anybody Ravashi in our generation. But that would be the case of in a giant community where one says, you know, say he's Ravashi. But when somebody is bringing it just for say, you it's Rebarrel, it's Ramosha, it's your yeshiva, you get the dinner of Ravashi. They're clearly relying on the Dasa Yachid, and it's his discretion to use it in any capacity. But I believe you said in any capacity for tzedakah. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So let me usually, ask you. Usually, if people give it for a yeshiva, he has to do the first priority. But if for some is his discretion, for some any reason that he feels that the right thing to do it for a different, he wanted to give it, he gave it for a boys' school, and he wanted to give it for a girls' school, or in the other way around. If we rely on him, he may do it whatever tzedakah he wants to do with it. Okay. That's so, called so, Mishanim, tzedakah, tzedakah. Okay, even a so, gaba, even a gaba, sometimes has the authority. So based the, upon that, so based upon what you're sorry. saying, Rabbi Graus, if uh, if a uh, guy builds a yeshiva in one of these towns in America, Brooklyn, Muncie, whatever, and he decides one day he's moving to Eretz Yisrael, he's selling the yeshiva, he's opening up an yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, another yeshiva or a shul, whatever it may be, you believe he would have halachically the right to do it because he would have the din of Ravashi. Yes. Okay, so let me continue to another case. There's a Gemara in, um, in, in Hazrei of Al-Chayayim, where the Gemara says that somebody came to Rav Ami, and he, donate, and he sent money into the yeshiva, and the Gemara says Rav Ami could use it for whatever he wanted. And the Gemara says, why? Because Adam Chashiv Shani, he could only use it for his personal use. So what I want to know, it's not brought in Shulchan Aruch, it's brought in, in Panamiris, and Rav Rudiman used to use his psak. So let's say you have a rebela, a rav, he had a shul his whole life in Flatbush, in Borough Park, decides one day, listen, I'm 90, I'm 80, you should live till 120, I want to sell my little building, I'm moving to Miami, I'm buying a condo, and I'm going to go daven by somebody else, right? This is already not mishtakal at tzedakah, but mishtakal for his private purposes. Would you, even though the Shulchan Aruch does not mention it, but I know again, Rav Rudiman used to talk about this Gemara, I heard this from Rav Tzvi Berkowitz and Rav David Cohn, who told me that I, I, I confirmed it. Would you say he would have a right to do it and be Mishana for Tzedakah for his private use, with the understanding look, they understood, he's working very hard, he doesn't make very much, he's Meisenefesh, he can now use it to retire. Would you Would you use that Lahalacha if it came to you as a Dayan? 
Okay, it's a totally different issue. What we talked, what you brought this Gemara has nothing to do with the previous issues. Agreed, agreed. You, one second, agreed. let's analyze it. Let's analyze it. When somebody sends something for Talmudim, for example, I would I would send there was Hamshosa Bishvat, I would buy a lot of fruit, all kind of fruit, and I'll send it in a yeshiva. That means I send it for the Talmudim should use it to eat it. Goes the Rosh Yeshiva and takes off three portions he wants to take also for his family. He may do it. That's what we're talking about. Or he may take a bigger portion. Whatever, that is the issue. The issue is not I'm giving for Scharlimut to pay tuition or I, I, I give it for to build a building or I want to buy a Sforim that is be learned. Maybe he may take home some Sforim. If, if, I, if I send in Sforim, actual Sforim, but this is a totally different issue. That means it was given for use of the Talmudim, not to create an, an entity for Tzedakah, or an entity that should be used in overused. You, 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 I think I made myself clear. If not, I will repeat it. I didn't understand but, that. I didn't understand what you okay. said. Okay. okay. Again, there is sometimes what I give money to create a Moised of Tzedakah. What means a Moised of Tzedakah? There's two kinds of Tzedakah. There's a Tzedakah what I give it simply, you should be lachlik lani. Chaluke. Right. It's not an ongoing karen that I built a building, it should be used for sleeping or anim should eat there, should be there. I'm giving actually food or money, it should be divided. Then is a question if I do it for Tamidim, Rav Ami is also a chalik for Yeshiva, he may take a chalik barosh, a bigger chalik than other Tamidim take. Or if it's not enough for all the Talmudim, he may take the Chaylik Barosh. That is what the Gemara deals with that. The Gemara doesn't deal when I buy a building to be used and overused by the Talmudim, if Rav Ami may take it and sell it, the building. That is not the issue what the Gemara says there. Okay, but... but, is, but, but is but, still not clear? No, no, I'll, it is clear. But, but, but the Russian of the, of the Panam Iris, where he learns the Gemara, he says, he could... He He's allowed to become wealthy off of it. It's not just he's hungry and he needs for dinner or he needs any and, and his makoir is gadleu mishalachav. He could he could he could buy a big house yeah, with it. But 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 there who who what he was sending the money for? The money yeah. was sending for what? It doesn't say. Damrina now who sacked the dinri Dasilabay Medrasha? They threw money into the base Medrash. Big check what came to the Yeshiva. That is the the sake the dinner was sent to being given for the Talmudim, Lachlik the Talmudim. It's not to build a building, it was actually sent money, it should be divided or should be given to Talmudim. And because there is a purpose that Rav Ami or the Shiva should leave a style, Ashiyas doesn't mean putting bank millions of dollars, it means leave a, a, a leisure lifestyle. A lifestyle you should not go by foot, 10 blocks, you should hire a car or even a chauffeur if, if he needs it. That's what it means. And Natalie's Asher mean, doesn't mean to put money in bank. To leave it, to be living comfortable in a Bechavedig in Oifen, it should be, let's, let's see, by Kain Godel, but Elvis Ming means it should live, the Meiri is Marech in that, that every manager for Tzibur has no way, other way, since he's not, he's also been Blochavedig, he cannot be his own plumber, his own, he has to live 
a lifestyle that should be mechobed. It should not be mevuzeh by the tzibur. That is a purpose of the tzibur, and therefore he may be mefanes. That is that is what the Gemara means there, and that's what the Ponemir means. There. And that's that's just always in the in the all in the poskim speaks a lot a lot about that that uh, a maniga tzibur cannot live in a poor in a poor situation. That is not bchovedik, and he's not Allah even to do that. Live in a buzedik, even and 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 orum meshnorer Even though it was maniga, okay, so let's go back. Even, uh, very very poor. poor. So let's go to our case. He wants to sell his shul and move to Florida. Is he allowed to do that or not? His house in Borough Park or Flatbush or whatever. That's 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 individual. Usually the concept is these small rabbis, small rabbonim, but people give them, they mean to give it to them. They don't mean to give it exactly for a shul. They simply they give it whatever he should be done with that. And they don't care even, even if he's not from the neighbor, specifically 90% is not giving money from the neighborhood. But if somebody from the neighborhood he dumbs there, and he wants to give it for the shoe, not for him in the pocket. That's a different question, and it's sometimes it's hard to differentiate. But the, in, te- in general, is the concept is that the small, small, small shoe is being given for the rough, totally whatever he wants to do it, even if he wants to sell. So even though, uh, so Rob, well, Rabbi Grouse yes, is but, saying, but a bigger shul is a different is a different concept, and that sometimes is the is very very narrow. The difference is very narrow. You have to use common sense or make up sure a chayik from the money should give it for tzedakah, and uh, a portion of the money he may take it for himself. So we I just want Rabbi Grouse. I want to tell Rabbi Grouse is saying that this that the Panameira says that he could be achenis asher is only in the lifestyle of a Russian Shiva or a leader, but not that he could buy a boat or a condo in Florida. He's, he, he, you're saying that's what the... Yeah, and right. I, I, when you read, read the Gemara, I, I, I agree with you. And But however, if somebody does give it to somebody who has a show, in that case, you're giving it to the individual, even though there is no Gemara that discuss, discusses this case, I believe. Is that correct? It's not, it was never in that time. It was not, never this kind of things that somebody built by himself and he invented for that. Ravashi wanted to have a Russian Shiva. They sometimes in autumn and Adam Khashiv like Abed Lorit Sulfonov. There is yeah. such a concept. There is a concept that is a Adam Khubed and he cannot daven with other people, he has to have a minion. That is his that is his Abed Lorit Sulfonov. And the Abed Lorit Sulfonov he may do whatever he wants, but this is totally in a shikla das and it has to be reasonable and Iker is the difference where the money comes from. If it comes money from his friend, from not from the neighborhood, and or, or people that like him or whatever, they want to give him the money. But if somebody is a mispalel, is an, lives in the neighborhood and gives hundred thousand dollars, should build built over the shul because he wants to be comfortable, he wants to put an air condition system. Then when he sells it, is probably a chelik, probably it has to go for tzedakah. But this is an estimated question. It's a very individual question. It's hard to say rules on it. Right. Now, Rabbi Vosner in, in Shevet Levi says, I'm going to read his exact question. Kol bate medrashe shel hatzadikim, besignein shel zman hazeh, nechshavim l'shel yachid, tiheim banu, begam acherim shenastu lohem kesef, nitnu al daitam, which is what you're saying now. Right, he's, I'm just confirming to what you're saying. Now, Rabbi Graus, I want to throw a few current cases at you, and you could use your experience as a... We have in the east side, you have situations where a Moshe Paskin on it, 
but I, I'd love to hear that, you know you were you, you were always moisive to it. The Pike Street Shoal, big old shoal, Rebbe Baron Cutler when he died, the famous Hesped that the the Satma Rebbe said on him, Al Aaron Shalashina was set over there. It there's nobody living over there anymore. And what happened? Then the, the, some anical of a of a board member just came and they tried to seize it and sell it and. And, and uh, how would you halachically look at something like this? Halachically, if it's, there is a difference, if it's a community shul that was built by the community, it's definitely him, if no community anymore, and maybe we may sell it, but the, the, the entire money has to go for tzedakah. But it's not always sold. But I, I, I give you an example. I had it in Torah recently. There was a community. There was a shul with a mikveh, a nice shul with a nice mikveh. But the community was many, many years empty from Jewish people. No religious Jews, or I don't know if even Jews, were living in that area. And it started to be homeless people went in, and so it started to be an, an abandoned house, I would say it. And uh, somebody, and a person went, I don't know if Lushem Shamaim or Shamat was no difference, he moved in, he fought with the, all these homeless people, and he threw them, out, threw them all out, and take, took a lot of time. And he lived there for 15 years or many, many years, many, many years. Came a time around, and people, Jewish people, start to move in again. And there are 15, 20 Jewish religious people that live in the area, and they want to, to reopen the shul and to take it over, to start to make minyan and, and to use it. This person say, I'm living here for 15 years. Nobody helped me. I threw out this this homeless people from here. I kept the shul on. Now you want to throw me out? No, the shul is mine. Third party came. And there, as you said, was an article from the Gabba, and this was an, and this was a, had an, a letter from this, and this had a letter from that. And they wanted to have the shul not for the community. They also doesn't wanted to sell it for pocketing the money. But they were they wanted to bust in kids or have it for a library. They had all kinds of plans what to do with that. That's been a three-party interior. But the best impossible that this community, since it was revived, it belongs to the people of the community. Even they, somebody once said it was Mayayish, and was not, but this was their opinion. No, it is the purpose of the community. There is a community today, and nobody else has the time. You live there, you kept it, you may be entitled for some schar, it may be not because you used it many years, but this is a different kind of issue, not that you own it. And that is in short, and that is the term. Now, when it comes to a shul that a single person built it, and even he collected money, it was done al datoy, and he got sole authority from the donors. There's no civil because it was not initiated by civil, no community, nothing. It was only two, the donor and, and I'll tell you another, other uh, remark. 90% of the fight is between, ni- 99% is not between the donors. It's only sometimes people are mishtabled by the donor, you should fight, that happens very unreal. Usually, what we, I saw from my experience, you ask the donor, the donor don't care, I gave the money of that, oy, and because he was my friend, I knew him from the yeshiva, he was my, my, my havrus or whatever, or my cousin of his, 
And I knew I did it for good, and I trust him. He he continued to go to do good with that. Not 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 the donors. Always it comes somebody from the neighborhood that he wants to have it for himself, or he wants to have not for himself. Him sometimes he packed. He also wants to be a rosh He Also wants to be a rov or something else. And he is starring a machloikas and is called into it. That is usually the issue. And uh, I will tell you another issue. There is an aloha is something called sometimes momon she People don't like it, but it's um, the chazal, the term chazal, like like uh, called alam gevar. People don't, don't like that either, but this is a chazal, is a term that's for chazal. Sometimes you, the person what starts ma'arer, he doesn't have a standing, is or even if lives from that area, but doesn't mean that give you a standing a claim. Let's say if somebody does wrong, it takes moments what what he collected. Okay, let's say I'll tell you an extreme. Somebody goes from door to door and he tells a story. He gave money. He collects money for the purpose. I don't know what. He brings Russia kit and the uh, He doesn't bring. He doesn't make anything. He doesn't have a shear. He doesn't have anything. He packets the money in the bank. Now the question is: the donor may say, "Not come to the interior, give me back the money because you simply was matter to me. You told me that the purpose what I give it is for tzedakah. Let it be Nothing there. But nobody else can come to a person and say, "I am because I have a leather hat that I am the mashgiach of the entire world, or I pikuach or rosh bezin or whatever leather hat bezin leirurim, all kind of things that doesn't give you authority. They have no standing. It's not your business, even if it was done on Abel. Okay, you said a lot of things. So let me just go back slowly, Rabbi Grass. Took notes here. You said that in in the case of the fellow who took over the house, it was it was built for a purpose, and we don't care if you moved in and you watched it. It's still the communities. And I want to read a psaktin that Rabbi David Feinstein sent around the east side, like for the Pike Street, which you were referring to, very in tune. He said, "My father, that's Sarah, Moshe, and I stated numerous times." That's a halacha psuka, that in the event of a maised, shul, organization, or any community choosing to sell its property, like in the lower east side you're referring to, the proceeds of the sale must be distributed among the remaining maistas, yeshivas, beis yaakov, mikvah, etzala, in that community, and are not to be retained by the sellers, which would be, like you said, that that's never allowed, or that's usually not allowed, or used in any other community, which fits very much with what uh, you said, right? It's uh, that uh, it's, it's the communities, it was meant for the community, if a community, if a community yeah. builds something, it belongs to the community. Okay. So here I want to ask you a very sensitive type of a question. Where are you, Michalik? A guy opens a yeshiva. Or a shul, but a yeshiva is easier because a shul is usually in a house. So a guy opens a yeshiva, and he's always wanted to be a rosh yeshiva. So we, you said, look, it's always moist tzedakah. It's a you said it's a question of who has the authority, and the rosh yeshiva is given the, the yachid is usually given the authority. Everything's al daite. And in the case of Rav Ashi, he was given the authority to distribute it to tzedakah. In the case of Rav Ami and Israel Achiyim, he was only given the money lahashirai, so he could be, act as rosh yeshiva. He didn't want to be like you said, the plumber. Now when the, but we said a small rebel, you're giving it, Albaita, people understand, he's a little rebel, this or that. Now we have sort of the gray area. A guy opens the yeshiva, has 200 boys, raised money, wants to close the yeshiva, and he says, listen, I'm like the rebel. So that's the Chakira. Is this like the Rebola, where you say, sell it, Rebola, go, they gave it al they don't care the donors, move to Florida, buy a nice house and a boat? What do you say? No. This is more like the case of Ravami and Ravashi, that you're sort of like it was given for a yeshiva, it wasn't given for you to, to move to my... How do you divide those two? 
How do you differentiate? I, 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 the difference, I would say the Rosh Hashiv, what you gave this example, even though it's sometimes maybe exception, but in general, people give for the Shiva, and that's the Rosh Hashiv. If the Rosh Hashiv decides that for some reason is the purpose is not here, or whatever reason, they gave him the authority to should Mishan and Mitsudoka, Litsudoka. He keeps the and money. He may do the Rebola could keep the money. The Rebola could keep the money. And buy a house, we said. But the little Rob, yes, they said, I said. You, so what would be the difference between this and this? The difference is between if I gave you Ebed Lorutz Lofonov, I call it Shul, but I didn't mean a Shul. If you need a Gabe, or you need a Shamus, or you need a, a silver... Uh, or a cane, house, or if you want to sell it for a house at the end of the period. Yeah, I don't care, I don't care, Iris. I respect you, or I, even if I don't respect Abrahamonas of you, is Evet Lorit Silfonov. Okay. That is the difference. Even if I make it a shul, but it doesn't, it doesn't different. The shul is not, it's only a mean of Evet Lorit Silfonov. It's okay. only a because I want it, but I don't mean the purpose of the shul. And by sometimes I mean, sometimes a yeshiva, I mean the purpose. Sometimes it's going in extreme. I'm only saying in most, but I see if you give it for a yeshiva, it's the most of the time, I don't simply wants Evid Lawrence of Honor. I want a yeshiva too. Or mainly a yeshiva, but I give you full authority what to do that. That's that's what I my estimation is. It's not I cannot say aloha because I'm thinking I'm a, keep repeating it that simply people take halachas what is not in our time it's never happened it happened there of ashes that's the only closest and if you see from ravashi you see it's also told in the undan because sometimes you give it for ravashi itself ravashi should may use it whatever he wants it that's also in there in, okay. if you look at the more in the shrine you'll see but sometimes it's limited but my estimation is so i cannot tell you that this is a gemara because it's never happened at that time. right my estimation is Erez Yeshiva, what takes bigger amount of money for Talmidim, he, the person wants to support Torah through him. He gives him full authority, full discretion, but he wants to support Torah. There is a, there, definitely, there's sometimes maybe exceptions. Somebody is a coiling man, is 50 years old, and he has nothing, and somebody pays money for Talmidim, he should listen to him. It doesn't mean the Talmidim, it doesn't mean it's sheer, it doesn't mean anything, but he's, he's a nefesh. That he and he wants to help him. He wants to uh, high his morals. Wants to help him morally. That does. It is sometimes exceptions, but usually that is the way people give. That's my estimation. And somebody may tell differently. I will respect it. Yeah, but Rabbi Kraus, I would like to tell you this: that all the halachas in the Shulchan Aruch and in the Gemara always refer to what you said. Who has the authority to which tzedakah are you allowed to be mishana? The concept of that we're giving to you to do whatever you want is a chiddush. Rabbi Shevet Levi says it. We don't see that. No, no, but Rav Ami, but you rightfully said that the case of Rav Ami is not where you should buy a condo in Florida. The case of Rav Ami is where you should be. God you, Michel Achiv, so you should be able to fear with more covet. The the concept of selling it and moving on with it is a chiddush. So you're saying that chiddush you want to minimize and say when it's given to the individual and the shul is in his house or something like that, it's different than when somebody is a building. And in that case, we're giving him the authority. And there could be God Leil Mishalachah, but not to be Mishanah from.
from tzedakah l'chayel without any... I'm, I'm just saying over what you're saying. I'm not, and then you said over another very important point, which I think a lot of people may have not understood the important. You spoke about standing. You said if an avla occurs, no matter how big the avla is, a guy created an entire fake institution, if you are not one of the donors, you may be 100% right that he did a big avla, but doesn't mean you still don't have standing to come to, to the entire Just like in court, you wouldn't have standing. If you see somebody rob somebody with a gun and you say, I want to sue the person, the thief, they'll say, listen, he did a terrible thing. You have no standing. You're not mishpacha. It's not your money. Those are the same thing as in halacha, and that's a point that a lot of people miss. But I want to go continue on this point. Let's say you would have a case where there is a machlekes, be it a, a, a shul or a yeshiva, and somebody says, you know, he was Mishana, he wants to take it from this yeshiva, he wants to move to Eretz Yisrael. And the Bezdin is about to pass him, I think he has a right. It was, you know, it was, there were Thailand, Asayachid, and somebody comes running in and he says, listen, I have standing here. So they say, why do you have standing? He says, look, I learned in the yeshiva. Do you believe a Talmud of the yeshiva gives him standing? Do you believe a parent of the yeshiva gives standing? And alternatively, no. I want to just continue, and alternatively, do you believe a mispal and a shul gives you standing? Who does and doesn't have standing? Hey, there's a difference between a mispal and a talmud. A talmud is registers himself, he pays rent, he pays the tuition. He usually is not even from that community. He's being bossed in or when there's a dormitory, and most of the, no, no shul has a boss system. But all the Talmuders have a bus system. That it by itself shows you that this is a service that's being paid for and it's no location, not Sibur. It has nothing to do with Sibur. It's not even similar or you cannot so far fetch from the old term of Sibur or membership. There is there is in our in Aloche is location. That is Aloche what we find in Aloche. Like you have uh, voting, there is many countries that you no location, not areas. But in many is area voting is that is in United States system. In the system in a shul, there is a membership system, a community shul. That what Aloche gives a koyach for a tzibur. If you come service, you take service in a place, you're not coming a member. In your membership, if you pay dues, even if, if you bank a member in a gym, that doesn't mean that you own the gym. You have a uh, you have allowance that you may take, and you don't have to come any time, pay additional additional uh, admission or something like that. You have a monthly charge. If that is a different. If I go in a mikveh and I pay monthly, it's a different if I pay by using each of them. But it doesn't call, gives me membership. Okay. There is something what's called membership that's only built in a community where there's a tzibur of tefillah. In, in the old time, yes. In the old time, not as, as a parent. It has nothing to do with parents. Let's say in the old time, it was a tamatoire that belonged to the tzibur had a building. Who belongs to this building? Not to the kid, not to the parents. It belongs to the entire Sibyl. Kraus, can I... Therefore, I don't see any... any can I any be mad I never heard any McCord. Let me tell you, tell me yes, if I'm, sure, I'm understanding sure, right. it correctly. You think if you go to a grocery store, the fact that you shop there for 10 years doesn't give you standing if the grocery store has a disagreement with a neighboring grocery store. You bought your tomatoes, thank you very much, now go home. You're not a member of the grocery store. But we're in a situation where you have voting rights, like it's a co-op, it's a whole bunch of grocery stores that came together and they created some type of a co-op to legislate or whatever, and you have voting rights, that gives you standing. But the fact that you buy tomatoes in the grocery store doesn't give you standing to be involved in the grocery store's business. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yes, exactly. 
Last question. You spoke about the authority of the Reish HaMaisid. You said he has the din of the Yachid of Ravashi today. Everybody trusted him. He could be Mishana, Mitzedakah, Letzedakah. He has really a lot of authority. Okay, he's been there for 30, 40, 50 years. He wants to retire now. And he says, listen, you know, um, give me $5 million. I'm taking $5 million from the Casa of Tzedakah. I am the one who has real virtual, uh, you know, only authority. I'm empowered. Yeshiva built up, you know, has money. Like, does the authority have any limitations or is it endless? As I told you before, the authority is to divide it in for Tzedakah or give it for other Tzedakahs. It's no right to take it for himself, but he has maybe entitled for a pension. There was many alochas that people in the poskim that a rof is entitled for a pension, specifically when he is the bala moised and he did it out that that's, that a same the same way that he's entitled for a wage. You may ask me how much wage he makes takes, how much salary he makes takes. The answer is reasonable. Reasonable is the answer for most questions in life. Everything has to be reasonable. If you have a salary, yes, it is proportional. You can give him a lama differently, a Rosh differently. It's a different Rosh of 50 bochrim or a Rosh Hashiva from 500 bochrim. Yes, like a corporation, you give bigger, so, um, bigger salaries for a, for a head of a bigger corporation. But you are, there's a different issue. What This issue is very common, unfortunately. There's many times a Rosh Hashiva or even a menile what is employed by other organizations. Sometimes he borrows money for the yeshiva. He writes, he signs personal guarantees. And unfortunately, I know for a fact, many of them, they were thrown out from the yeshiva and he had to handle it by himself, all the guarantees. The yeshiva refused to honor it. All kind of, this kind of sense that you make, because he was a Rosh Hashiva, you cannot bring all the problems, what accumulated during the time, and leave it on his uh, shoulder alone. And he has the right to take from the yeshiva to money to compensate and to pay for the people that uh, being owed money. There's no question about the same thing, but not what you are saying, I'm taking a million dollars. Yes, maybe sometimes a person is entitled for a pension for a million dollars. I know a bonnet that give him the shoe even were hired. They got a lot of, uh, get a pension, should be able to live on. Maybe he's entitled, maybe not. It depends is the circumstances, if it's reasonable or not reasonable. This is not authority, what we authority to decide what is reasonable. It's not the question of Mishana Mitzidok and Mitzidok. It's a different question. That's more the question of Rav Ami, what you talked, what you spoke before. So in closing, Rabbi Graz, you would say that a Rosh Yeshiva or a Rav who's devoted his life to his Tzibur or to his Yeshiva, etc., should have, I mean, unless, or in his authority, and it probably should be spoken about, should have the right to, for a pension, and the way to ascertain that pension is to look like you do by most appraisals. If it's somebody who headed a yeshiva, I would say go online and see what a university president or something like that. I mean, you know, something similar would be a starting point to say, but, you know, in America, it's, people usually get pensions so that they can live the rest of their lives and they could be covered. So, and, and again, you say depending on the size of the Mosad, but there is absolutely no reason why somebody who was Rosh Hashiv or Rav should be treated with any less covered Hashem or any less dignity than any other public job that we have out there. Would you think say that that's fair? Yes, you put it in the right words, better than me. Okay, is there anything, Rabbi Graf, that I didn't ask you that I should have? This is, this is a very wide subject, and there is no, no one is similar to the other, and everything has to be looked at, 
and it in in uh, in uh, magnify it and understand it and compare it to other industries what is the right way what's not the right way but the most important is to stress it because this is something what people don't like people call to the interest and they have no standing and they will fight and they don't even you cannot explain to them that is not your mind your own business is wrong or bad but how come how can the how can the best allow this and this and this this is not the way how to handle it the way it's handled it, you is nothing to do with you is wrong or right and not every person has to go after every avalanche what happens in the street he has also no authority for that even as i told you a person of a community may be sometimes he has authority to do corrections to do something what is they see a wrong behavior of in a tzibur but not a yochit and not a best in our time what nobody authorized them Nobody authorized them. There is a shiva. People don't authorize them. Give them authority to decide. Not a bezin of this, a bezin, but so-called bezin, should be the authority to decide for him what he should do in his shiva. Okay, Rabbi yeah. I want to leave you with one comment, and I don't know as you could respond to it or not. I spoke to Rabbi Shimi Glick, who's certainly one of the biggest Bali Tzedakah in America, and we were speaking about this topic, and he said, it's important that you recognize, he told me, that 99% of the moistus that he's dealt with really go b'derech hayasher v'hatayv, and it's the rare exception where there's abuse of tzedakah money. I mean, and you're, you're certainly one of the most involved in chayshemishpet in, in America, for sure. Would you, would you agree overall with that statement? I would agree to some point, and I don't know, it's a very, very painful issue to talk about it. Most of the moistus, are done correctly, I would say 90%. I would say the different problem is with the gemachim. I don't know if you should say it or not should say it. Yeah, I leave it to you, discretion. But the gemachim is unfortunately every period of time. Here, this gemach went bankrupt, that gemach went bankrupt. You give people, a person, millions of dollars. Means you call it gemach and he or his one of his workers start, not because they want to steal, he heard Moshe told him that this stock will go from a dollar to twenty dollars, and here is millions of dollars done. Nothing is being done with that. He has a very tempted to go and invest. This stock will go from a dollar to twenty. You know, the money is stamped here in Gmach, and end up that this goes from a dollar to zero, and it, it in a lot, a lot of people lost their money and they didn't give even they didn't give any authority to invest the money they didn't give authority only to borrow small amount of money with guarantee and that is un very unfortunate situation i don't know if you like to air it or not or this has a place in, in this in this conversation but this is a very painful situation what nobody talks about nobody likes to talk about it but it's it's a painful very painful people that saved the lifetime of money. They they saved it for a chasen, for Yosem, or a stomach chasen for these kids. He put it away every month. He puts it in a gemach. The gemach should hold it. When the time comes, he wants to marry the office daughter. And this, who sees the gemach that is there, a half a million dollars, or millions of dollars, for many people together, that's all poor. Most of them are poor people, poor, relatively poor. And he sees, it looks years and years he has nothing what to do with that he tries to invest it that is the 
is a, if you speaking about, you may ask Shimiglik if he's familiar with that or not familiar with that problem. That's a terrible problem. Rabbi Graus, thank you for sharing your Devaitaira, your Chachma, and more than that, your really very broad perspective, which is just so rare. Thank you for the comments and thank you for the compliment. Bye-bye. Bye. Joining us is the well-known attorney, Avi Shek. He's a Talmud of Edison. He's a Talmud of Demir. He frequently represents the goods on legal matters. He's an attorney at Troutman and Pepper, a very prestigious, well-known New York firm. And he's also, more importantly for our discussion, Deputy Attorney General of uh, New York State. Welcome, Avi. Thank you for, for having me. And just let me say, I used to be Deputy Attorney General. I am not, no longer Deputy Attorney General and simultaneously practicing at a law firm. But okay. thank you for having me. Okay, so Avi, as former Deputy Attorney General, or when you were Deputy Attorney General, you were responsible for 501c3s, which are all under the jurisdiction of the Office of the Attorney General. Can you give us like a two-minute primer on what the law of 501c3 says and who uses it, etc.? As, as you mentioned, the uh, Attorney General in New York has jurisdiction over, over non-profit and charitable entities, which include shuls, yeshivas, and, and other types of, of moistness. 501c3 is really a, a, um, a federal tax designation, meaning you're tax-exempt. The reality is that uh, our, our moistness not only are tax-exempt, but are also corporations are formed under state law. So whether you uh, form the entity in New York, as uh, was typically the case, uh, almost always the case in the past, or now you form an incorporated in New York or Delaware, in either instance, you're going to incorporate as a not-for-profit corporation, which means that the, um, the entity is going to have specified purposes, religious, charitable, educational, and their assets and their mission are going to be constrained by that certificate of incorporation. And what are the constraints? Again, it, it, first of all, it can't be for profit, right? You can't own the entity. You can't say, we had a great year this year, uh, did a lot of fundraising, made some people happy, so, you know, they sent in a million dollars, so I took out a million dollars, right? The, the, obviously, people can get paid and make a living, but the ownership of the entity is with the board of directors or potentially in a school with, with members, um, and it's not vested in any individual. And therefore, there are limitations as to how much money. You, the equity does not belong to the ownership, basically. The equity owns the Seaburn in effect. The, the entity, meaning the shul, which is where this issue often arises, or whether it's a yeshiva or some other institution, right? The ownership is with the entity, which is managed by a board or something else. Whoever founded it is not the owner of the entity in the way we think of somebody owns their own house or owns their own business. So let's say they sell it. Now you have this going on in the Lower East Side now for 25 years. The community is getting smaller, it's shrinking. You have shoals that, you know, are more upon shoals. They have very little membership. And what happens? The president of the shoals says, listen, nobody's really coming anymore. I'm selling it. It's worth $20 million today. And uh, I'll do it with the money, whatever I see fit. As a, how would the attorney general look at a case like that? And it has many times, I imagine. Right. So a couple of things. To start with, in New York, to for the most part, to effectuate a sale of, uh, of a building of, of charitable assets requires the Attorney General's approval, requires a court approval. Um, there have been some amendments to the, to, to the law, but, but in, in practical terms, what happens is that a petition for approval is, is submitted to the Attorney General for review, 
And when the Attorney General signs off with a no objection, um, it then can sail through to get a court approval. But you can't just go, to, you know, you know, put it out to market, contract closing. Um, it, it needs regulatory uh, approval. And uh, among the, certainly with a sale, among the issues that are most closely looked at is what's happening with the proceeds of the sale, right? Sometimes it could be simply, you know, an entity is, is moving. We need more space. We need less space. We're moving down the block, around the corner, right? Those are the simple cases. In a case, like you mentioned, where an entity is closing, right, the question becomes what happens with the money? And that's something that the Attorney General's office focuses on you know, very intently. So let let me give you a, an example. Uh, uh, you have an old Rav. He 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 had a house in Flatbush, Borough Park, wherever it may be. He lived on the second floor. The sh- the thing was the, the shul was on the first floor. He, he formed it as a nonprofit. So all Elias, the Davis, whatever the case is, should go to the shul. He didn't want to pay real estate tax. He was getting by. He turned eighty. And he can't do it anymore, and he doesn't have a kid who wants to do it. So he says, listen, I would like to sell my house show that I lived in. I want to move to Florida and buy an apartment in Florida. And let's say the show fuggins him. They say, listen, you know, he worked for 50 years here. He, he didn't earn much money. He always would live simple. He was avid to the, to the, to, to the, to the, Hashem, to the uh, thing. How does the attorney general look at something like that? So it, it, it is not... Um generally not acceptable to say, you know, the rabbi's retiring, so we're, we're closing down shop and uh, selling the building and giving him the proceeds in recognition of his um, years of service. You know, it, it's certainly true that uh, he may be entitled to, to something, but it, it's difficult to, uh, to, to, to reconcile sort of the nonprofit tax-exempt status with saying, okay, we're closing up shop, selling, and he's getting all the proceeds. So that would not be something that, that can get through so simply or, or at all. Often the argument is made, well, we're selling the shul in this neighborhood, and we're going to rebuild the shul in another neighborhood or purchase a building in another neighborhood. And, you know, depending on how close the neighborhood is and, you know, how compelling a case one could make, you know, that is something that can, can gain approval. But a simple, you know, sale and transfer of the assets or proceeds to, to the individual is not something that's going to easily get the attorney general's blessing. So, so if I'm a little rebel or whatever, and I want to open a show like this, and the only way I can afford to do it is if I'm not paying taxes, and like, I, what, what do I do? Well, first thing, there is probably people will say you're probably a big rebel, not a small rebel. But um, putting that aside, um, I would say, you know, these are issues which should be dealt with up front or as early as possible. And there's nothing wrong with creating a pension obligation, right? Somebody is working. They're probably working for very little money, not making much, and devoting a lot of time to to the shul, to the um, spalum in the shul, to their families, to all sorts of community issues. And it's certainly appropriate for somebody, you know, who devoted a lifetime of service to, to receive a pension. And if that's formalized in some way, then you know, it's, it's, uh, it becomes something that's, uh, that's easy to accomplish. Unfortunately, people don't generally think ahead. Um, they don't want to sit down and have these conversations. They do, to some degree, think they, quote-unquote, own it. And unfortunately, the lack of planning often leads to, to, uh, to tension and problems down the road. So if there was a, a recognized pension obligation at the end of his 50-year, whatever period, or 40-year, whatever the period is, and they said, look, you know, I was owed 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year, it's, it's 25 years later, it's, you know, it's, it's a couple of million dollars. At that point, if they sold the building, it would, it would allow it to, to, to meet the obligation, that the, a genuine obligation that the synagogue has. 
Yeah, and I, I think the important word there is genuine, and you know, it's all going to be you know subject to the specific circumstances there. You know, is it to some degree it's unfair, right? If, if we pay somebody a little bit of money, what would happen if you say I'm paying him twenty-five thousand dollars a year and giving him a pension of fifty? It, it's deferred. It, it it may not you know it's work so well. So I, you know, it's all going to be subject to to certain reasonableness tests and standards. But the reality is that it would it would it would work. It would certainly work a lot better than you know just trying to to sort of get the money out. And it also it also you know um, diminishes the possibility of tension between you know mispalalim and and you know rabbanim who who may leave. So you know in in organizations and in institutions that are run by boards of directors, which are what we call self-perpetuating, right? A board, you know, can have a meeting and and it uh, elects successors and and the like. In a shul, even though shuls, many shuls have boards of directors, members have rights. Members have rights, have legal rights. And members are defined, um, at least in the case law, by those who who pray and contribute regularly. So it is the case that, you know, and this has come up in litigations, where, you know, a shul can, can say, we're closing, there's no one here, you know, we voted, the board met, so on and so forth, and someone says, listen, uh, and, and often shuls, you know, in these kind of neighborhoods don't want to take new members, right, because of this very reason, they're afraid that then somebody else with a, with a day or with an opinion will, will come up. Well, if somebody can establish that they regularly daven there and regularly contributed and contributed, whether it's donations, whether it's, you know, um, for Elias, whether it's for Shalashudas, who knows? They will have rights. And so, so you know, even if, even if, you know, the Rav established the shul with, with a board of directors consisting of, you know, a daughter, a son-in-law, and two cousins, that's no guarantee of smooth sailing because very often it's the local, it's the people left in the local community who, you know, were proximate wow. to the become, shul. Become who, say, their, who, say, you know, who are now the new directors, in effect. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. There are many non-shuls that organize as congregations because the reporting requirements to congregations are, are thinner than they would be for for uh, 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 non-congregations. So let's say you have a yeshiva and the yeshiva uh, report, you know, formed as a congregation. Do the students of the yeshiva, in effect, become sort of like the mispalim and the shul, and would they, in effect, be able to say, "Look, I'm a constituent here too, and my vote counts"? I, I, I don't think I don't think that the, uh, the the students get to run the asylum. Um, it's an interesting question, though, um, and and you bring up a very good point it's 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 something of a now with, with the yeshiva when the yeshiva forms as a as a congregation it's at least um it passes the the smell test because of course yeshivas do have tefillos right and often tefillos not only during the week when school is in session but on shabbos uh if it's a masifta yeshiva maybe with the talmidim often they're outsiders so a, a yeshiva you know most often probably meets the legal definition of a congregation I should say that, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, there are um, other institutions, other types of institutions, wonderful institutions, charitable, chesed institutions that for the same reasons form as as congregations. And, you know, that's a little more questionable. Um, in fact, would anybody, who, would anybody who davens in the yeshiva have the same status as somebody who davens in the shul as far as the attorney general's concerned uh, saying, look, no, I'm no, also, Not in the running of the school. Not in the running uh, of the school, uh, but uh, when uh, it comes uh, to disposition of assets, etc. cetera. Uh, unlikely, uh, um, unlikely, again, because the yeshiva, uh, again, the yeshiva ultimately, you know, actually is a yeshiva, whatever what, whatever congregational aspect they have of it, right? The, the You know, it's not going to be set up as a member membership corporation in the way that, that congregation 
limitations are or are as, as defined by the law. So, you know, listen. Even, um, even if, even if it's forms of a congregation. Okay. Correct. Listen, clever people and clever, I never say never, clever people and clever lawyers, right, you know, push the boundaries of things. Um, but, okay. but I have Let not another seen question. that happen. Um, could you tell us if you're, if maybe as something you were historic. I don't know if you're allowed to legally, but maybe something that was in the in the attorney general's office is probably public record. Could you just tell us two or three cases, or one that you've seen over your years when you were attorney general, that sort of fit in under the rubric of our discussion? Again, you know, you you mentioned I think earlier um, the Lower East Side, and it is true that uh, there have been a, a, an inordinate number of such cases um, emerging from the Lower East Side because it you know it went from being the epicenter of uh, from life um, in New York to a uh, a community that's no longer thriving, and uh, and so I mean legitimately right institutions closed down and and moved and transferred and things like that. So, um, but every once in a while. Litigation has has uh, has popped up. There was a well-known case involving the Pike Street Synagogue several decades ago. But 20 years ago, there was a case. The Pike Street Synagogue, by um, the way, I believe, is the one where Baron Cutler was nisbed by the Satmarebbe, right? Um, probably. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but probably. Well, I, I believe that that's where. And what ha- what transpired over there? I, 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 again, that was a case. That was the case, I believe. Um, it, it's, it's a long time ago. It was before my time uh, in practicing law. But I believe that is the case that established um, the notion that that members who that, that those who 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 you know regularly pray and regularly contribute to a synagogue um, you know have rights. Um, as members. And like 20 years later, there was a case that I was involved in at the Attorney General's office because at, at, at the waning days of, uh, of a prior Attorney General, there was approval given, you know, to a, uh, a society, right? There were uh, often these societies which, you know, you know were, were reflected a bunch of people from a certain town or community in Europe who came here and, and they owned property and uh, nobody involved with it had any, no longer any connection to the Lower East Side. Um, and so they decided that they were going to disband, sell the property, and distribute the money to, to, to charities, um, some in their own new neighborhoods, which were outside of New York, and maybe some in Israel, and um, some locals came, you know, right after uh, the Attorney General changed and said, uh, this is an outrage, and, and, and the deal had not closed yet. There had been a, um, right, they had gotten approval, but, but had not yet closed, and so um, the Attorney General reopened the proceeding, and uh, and ultimately um, was able to to set aside you know, sort of the prior approval um, in in the face of the sort of strong local opposition. There was a case um, more recently, within the last handful of years, again at the Lower East Side with a um, an old age home. So this is somewhat closer to uh, to what you mentioned before because I think it was a senior home that also had had a mukam in it, and there was a big controversy over over closing and selling it. Um, and it uh, it devolved into litigation, and within the litigation, there ended up being a, a big dispute over who the board of directors was. So it was a question of uh, are these the legitimate board? You know, who wants to sell it, or the others who who, who oppose the sale of the legitimate board? And ultimately, uh, I believe the locals prevailed. Um, and again, so the sale did not occur, at least not in the way. Um, it was attended with the distribution of proceeds. And what this highlights is that there's always a tremendous sympathy. The court will always have a tremendous sympathy, right, for, for those who are, you know, who frequent a shul, who say, this is my makam tzvila, this is my synagogue, this is my house of worship, this is where I pray, this is where people 
um, come together to serve God. Um, and so, you know, when, when, when locals come with, with those claims, um, they garner a lot of sympathy, and it's very hard to, often very hard to overcome that um, and to effectuate a sale and a, a disposition of the assets elsewhere. What would what would uh, what would the attorney general see as excess contrib- distribution? Like you're saying, it's it's not owned by anybody. It has to be. So I'm the rabbi. I say, you know what? I'm going to take a million dollar a year salary. You know, just like you said, you had a good year. You can't make a distribution. Well, I'm not making a distribution. I'm raising my salary from a hundred thousand to a million. Does that need attorney general approval? Could it be atta- attacked by the attorney general, etc.? So you know, in the first instance, I'd say you know the the. Um um, you know, generally speaking, um, salaries are not within the, per, you know, are not something that need approval. Um, you know, that said, there are limitations, you know, within the nonprofit law, uh, requiring that compensation be reasonable. Obviously not a defined term and, and has a lot to do with the context. And so, you know, it, it's certainly something that would be susceptible to challenge and looked at, I think, you know, very skeptically by the attorney general if uh, somebody all of a sudden because, you know, some donor dies, leaves the request to, to a shul and, and all of a sudden the rabbi, you know, magically goes from making 50000 a year, you know, in prior years or 100000 a year or whatever the salary is. And obviously it bears repeating that our abonim are woefully underpaid and often woefully underappreciated. And so this is not a chasr shalom and knock on, on, on them. But, you know, it, it would not pass the smell test. It would not pass scrutiny if it was brought to the attention, probably, if someone said, oh, we got a request this year and here's here's a million dollars. Um, in addition, right, there are limitations to um, when institutions, you know, want to dispose of what the law says is, quote, all or substantially all of their assets. And it would not surprise you to learn that government has a expansive view of all or substantially all, and there's been litigation about that. And, and certainly, you know, um, less than half has been found to be all or substantially all. Um, I think that's in a case out of Rockland County in the 90s, if I, if I remember that correctly. So, you know, there are certainly avenues to challenge that. If it's a compensation decision, it wouldn't, norm, it wouldn't in the normal course come to the attention of the Attorney General unless someone, you know, knocked on the door. Okay. Here's a Shiloh that goes beyond legal, but I'm just curious if you have any knowledge maybe from DNA Tyra, et cetera, is if I form a corporation under the, uh, 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 under the, the 501c3 statute, means I am a, a, a 501c3 corporation, I will abort by the rules and regulations of a 501c3, et cetera. Am I required to follow the, my formation docs because of Dina the Malchus Dina, or because these are the docs I ascribe to. In other words, if, if me, if, if a bunch of friends came together and they made formation docs that say, you know, you, can, you are not for profit, you have to keep the money in the institution. If you disband, it has to be given to another. These are not Dina the Malchus Dina. These are our formation docs. Would have you had this seen this either in a Zentira or have you been asked or litigated? Well, are listening to the requirements of the formation docs of the 501c3 fall under the rubric of these are our documents, these are our requirements, these are our sort of bylaws, or does it fall under, like if magically Dina the Mahusa Dina would disappear, would I still be obligated to my formation docs? So the answer is I don't know. Um, I, I, I have not been involved in, uh, in a Dintara context, so I don't know how, how Dayanam would look at it. You know, in the real world, right, you to start a 
congregation. You have to um, incorporate as a nonprofit, and that comes with certain, you know, procedural requirements. You know, I, I suspect, but I don't know. I'd be speculating. I suspect that a a um, uh, a group of the Yonim might have at least some sympathy to sort of the real world aspects, which is that you know the Rav started it, and and again. You know, there's different contexts, right? You have a Israel shul or a good shul, which generally a group of Balabatim come together, right? Incorporate, maybe purchase a property and, and hire a rov. And then you have a, a stable context, as you say, where somebody buys a house and lives on one floor and, you know, has a shul on the other. And I think, you know, Dayana might take into account, you know, the real world aspects, um, the real world aspects of, of this. I, I will say, and without saying who it is, uh, within the last year, someone came to me, um, for, for advice on a on a school question, it was a purchaser actually, and I, I mentioned the need for you know um, for the attorney general review and other issues, and 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 it, the the school that had been there was a situation where you know the school in the house, as you said, and in fact the building had been for all the years in the name of the person who founded it, paid his real estate taxes, you know, presumably had a had a congregation for purposes of people making donations to the school and whatnot, but you know. Um, paid for the building, owned the building, whatever people contributed toward it for its upkeep. And, you know, in that case, you know, that that's another way to work around the problem, um, which is, uh, you know, keep it in your name and, uh, and and do it that way. So, so there are people who have um, had the foresight to uh, to avoid these problems by by keeping ownership. But I do think that in the Besden, one is likely to get some sympathy for the uh, real world realities of uh, of of how stables and schools uh, operate in some communities. Javi, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? I think not. It's, a, it's, an, interesting kind, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting topic. I think, you know, schools and, uh, and those involved with them should take the time to, you know, think ahead about, you know, how they'll deal with whether it's demographic changes in the neighborhood or retirement or a rov or a need, you know, to, to fund, you know, you know his uh, his later years when he's when he's not working, and I think you know if if, uh, if people sit down in good faith to address these problems, there are solutions. It's only when um, when they're ignored until uh, until somebody takes an act, if somebody takes action, then uh, then the problems really arise. Now, are the laws the same in other states like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut? Are they pretty much the same? No, well, obviously a nonprofit. You know, the laws in terms of a nonprofit being not being owned by an individual are going to be the same everywhere. New York has a particularly um, thorough regime in terms of its not-for-profit law, um, in terms of requirements for approvals for sales and transactions, in terms of a very large, well-staffed, and occasionally aggressive attorney general's office that has oversight and jurisdiction over charities. So I think New York is, is almost surely the most complicated of the states. Again, not because it's... it's uh, it has a different threshold requirement about whether you can or can't own a nonprofit, but just because of the of the thoroughness of its law and the aggressiveness um, and uh, and really size of the attorney general's office. One last question, Avi: If a nonprofit was formed in, let's say, Delaware, but it's domiciled in New York, is it fall under the New York attorney general or under the Delaware attorney general? They so bought that's a, an excellent it, question. They bought a shul or yeshiva, whatever it is, it formed this corporation in Delaware. But the, the, all the alias, the building is in New York. What's the halacha? So um, this is a subject of, in, in an academic sense, it's the subject of controversy, which is to say that very smart lawyers who practice in this field, you know, have a strong feeling and belief that, you know, New York can impose its regime on 
on a, a, a com- on a, even a nonprofit corporation that's domiciled in, um, in in Delaware, for example. And so, if we were sitting around having an academic discussion, the answer I would give you is that nonprofit lawyers smarter than me, you know, say that that's the law. If someone came to me. What I tell them is, listen, I don't know what the law should be, you know, if, if the highest court in the state were to, were to have to, you know, resolve it in a litigation. But I do know that the New York Attorney General believes it falls under his jurisdiction or her jurisdiction um, currently. In other words, if you operate in New York, you own property in New York, you fundraise in New York, New York believes, the New York Attorney General believes that you have to register with the state and, uh, and you have to, you know, comply with a whole host of, of obligations there. And so, um, you know, until that's tested, um, that's the answer I would give. It's, but it's, a, it's an excellent question. As I said, um, you know, smart lawyers in the field believe there's good arguments to say that you can't impose the requirement, but any experienced accountants will tell you that New York certainly um, reads and enforces the law as if um, if you operate um, here and own property here, you do have to register and you do fall within their jurisdiction. Avishek, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Hello. Joining us from Monroe, New Jersey, is Rebbe Eliezer Zaklokovsky. He's a Chabad shliach to Monroe. He is a, a musmach of Rav Hirschsprung, among others. He's also a Chabad historian who's written many books about the history of Chabad. Welcome, Rebbe Eliezer. Thank you. Thank you. An honor. So we're struggling here. I'm struggling that in everything we've heard about tzedakah so far about Moistis is that when you give to a tzaddik, like certainly like a Rebbe, you know, a big Rebbe, you, you know, you're not giving it with any, there's no question what he's going to, you don't ask him what he's going to do with it. When somebody goes into the Ger Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, the Bolzer Rebbe, they're just happy that they had this chus to give them even a pigeon. And Rebbe the, the, the writes about this. He says, you know, when you give to the Tzaddik, it's the understanding, certainly of that caliber, you're giving it al daite. And yet, when the Chabad library, when the big, um, you know, Machloik is started as to who's the owner of the library, the children of the Rebbe or the Hasidim, it, was, it seems that Chabad, that it belonged to the Hasidim and not to the Rebbe, whereas I would think if I went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and gave him a gift, I wouldn't be thinking it belongs to the Hasidim. I'd be very happy, took it, do whatever you want with it. Why is it that way? Why did they pass in that way? And why did the court actually find it that way? So, the... Library of Chabad that we know today is one of the most extensive Jewish libraries anywhere. Started primarily with the previous Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat, who collected Sfarim from all of the previous Rabbeim, going back to the Alter Rebbe and even some things from the Balshemtiv. And he really made it his mission to create a collection, a research library that should be available to anyone who needs. And he was a Oyev Svarim and a Chayev Svarim. And he went around in Europe during the 20s and 30s uh, and collected Svarim and bought Svarim and gathered whatever he could, manuscripts, etc. And the plan was that one day to come and make it available to the public. Unfortunately, World War II broke out. The Svarim were stranded. There are still Svarim that are stranded in Russia, which is a whole separate discussion. Bottom line is that at a certain point, a lot of the Sephardim came to America in the 40s, uh, during the war, after the war, and this began the official Chabad library, and it continued to grow over the years. Uh, after the Hispalkas of the Rebbe Rayat, the Rebbe took over, the continuing to build this library, and today it's a magnificent library. In the late 80s, the grandson of the Rayat, who was not involved with the Chabad at all, 
decided that uh, it would be financially beneficial if he would take some of these svarim and sell them. And very clandestinely, he came into the library and took svarim. The librarians noticed that shelves were becoming empty. They had no idea how. And after putting in a camera, they realized who it was. And the Rebetzin was notified, and the Rebetzin notified the Rebbe. The Rebbe tried very quietly, discreetly, through his father, through his mother, tried to stop this, you know, before it becomes any kind of tumult and explain that this, uh, you know, it belongs to the Rabbeim, it belongs to Chabad, it belongs to, 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 to the Chidim, and, and, uh, and it's not something that's a private Yerusha to be sold. It didn't work, so the Rebbe said that he's going to speak about it publicly. And at the big cable televised Yud-based Tamil Fabrengen in 1985, the Rebbe did speak about it publicly, and long story short, after continuing to try with Rabbanim and Bezdin, etc., that didn't work, and they, they were forced, to place a restraining order on continuing to sell the books, to freeze all the sales. And that's what happened, Baruch Hashem, and then started a very long process of trying to buy back this forum, to locate them, to buy back this forum, different dealers around the world, internationally, some went to England, some went to, to, to Eretz Yisrael, some here in America. They were able to locate them all through a very long series of work and, 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 and efforts with dealers. And ultimately, he, uh, he forced the issue into court, and this began a long process of trying to prove who the library belongs to. And ultimately, in 1987, the judge ruled that the library belongs to the Chabad movement, Agudas Chassidi Chabad. That's the Pekitzer. So the question is, why? Why don't you say that it belonged to the Rebbe? Like, you know, Svarim, a very personal item, you know, every Talmud Chacham has a, 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 a Svarim shtibel. Like, why would they think that this, the, the Altager Rebbe had a huge library? Nobody assumed it was anybody but the Rebbe's. Why would this be different? Okay, that's a great question. And the answer is that the Rebbe made reference to a particular letter that was written by the Rebbe Rayat to a Professor Marx who was part of the JTS, and he had a lot of political contacts and was a big librarian himself, that he should try to help Chabad get back the Svarim that were stranded in Europe during the war. And he referred to it as the library that belongs to Agudas Hasidi Chabad, which is by extension the Rechush HaUma, a treasure of the nation of the Jewish people, of the Bnei Yisrael. And because he referred to it in this way, so basically he was Megaladas that although he used money that was given to him for Pidyanus to buy libraries and to acquire Svarim, but he didn't do it as a personal collection, but rather as a collection that would belong to the Klau. So there are instances like this. Another letter that I was referring to previously, that when this volume of the Friedrich Rebbe's letters came out, Rebbe came down with the new volume to the Fabrengen, and he opened it up in public, this is a year before any kind of theft of books. And he read publicly the first letter printed in that volume. And it's a letter from 1940, from 1939, right when the war broke out. And the Friedrich Rebbe is writing to the Chassidim in America, that we saw Jacobson and others, that they should try to help him rescue his bibliotheque, which is the property of Agudas Chassidi Chabad. And it's now stuck in Europe because the war had just broken out in September, and he has no way to rescue this treasure. And the Rebbe read this letter publicly, with no reference whatsoever to anything. And only over a year later, after the Svarim were taken, did people put two and two together. The Rebbe is making this public reading of a letter that refers to the library 
as the 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 of Agudas Sidichabad, which was something pashit uh, amazing, like the Tur Nevuah. And I imagine so when the court case happened, these two letters were the deciding factor. Yes, these letters amongst others. Interestingly, also when the lawyers came to meet the Rebbe personally before they started preparing for the case, so the Rebbe mentioned in passing that he thinks that this letter to Dr. Marx would, would be beneficial. And it ended up being that the first letter that the judge quoted in his long, extensive ruling is the letter that the Rebbe read in public, and the next letter that he, the judge quoted was the letter to Dr. Marx. Powerful. And, and, and I understand the Lubavitch Rebbe testified. Like, was her testimony on point to the same facts? Very interesting. It was a long deposition, a very uncomfortable one, one that uh, the Siddim at least tried avoiding. And I mean, the she, must, she, says, she no. must have been in her 80s already, I take it. She was in her 80s. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, first there was a question of the Rebbe being deposed, and, and that was uh, Baruch Hashem overcome. Then it came a question of deposing her because she's the closest to the Rayat. She's a daughter. And she's also a wife of the current Rebbe. So she had what to say in the matter. And although, you know, the Chassidim tried to discourage it, the Rebbe said, no, absolutely she should be deposed and she'll come through it with flying colors. And it was a long deposition of a few hours back and forth and they really, really hammered her very hard and they were like kind of let down that they couldn't, you know, get any kind of information that would be helpful to the lawyers from the other side. And towards the very end of the deposition, they just asked her like one final question. So Mrs. Schneerson, who do you think this farm belongs to? This was in court or out of court? It was out of court. It was, uh, she was deposed in her home on President Street in the presence of the lawyers and her sister uh, and some others. Okay. So, so the lawyer asks her, Mrs. Schneerson, who do you think this farm belongs to? So she says, the farm belonged to the Chassidim because my father belonged to the Siddim. And the judge was shown this deposition, and he asked to see this particular piece again, and he, like, he reacted in an in a, in a, in a, in a openly emotional way, which is very rare for a judge to do during, you know, on the witness stand, and he said, wow, remarkable. The, 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 the Sfarim belonged to the Hasidim because my father belonged to the Hasidim. Exactly. Rabbi Liesa, thank you very much. That was really beautifully said over. Thank you very much. Joining us from Flatbush is Ramesha Shmuel Rattenberg. He has a shul on 28th Street between Q&R, a very large, well-known shul. We used to call it Rabbi Rattenberg Shul. He's a Bab of a Talmud. He's a Musmach by the Rav Padava from England. He has a Bezdin, Bezdin Shari Mishpat. Welcome, Rabbi Rattenberg. Thank you so much. Rabbi Rattenberg, what's thought at the beginning? Is the money of given to a yeshiva or a shul, tzedakah, does it have a din of tzedakah, or is it a private enterprise and private money? And I'm talking about a shul or a school that is not owned by a community, let's say like Yeshiva, Spring Valley, which is a community shul. I'm talking about somebody opens up a shul, somebody opens up a school, and now Nadvanim give money to the building, let's say. So what's the school? Is it personal money, or does it have a din of moist tzedakah? So this is interesting. It's definitely tzedakah if you give it for a for a shield, but um, the main thing, what you want to know probably, is who has bailers on the money and what exactly can be done with the money, i.e. if the shul is sold or the school is sold or or uh, the rebbe or the roof that um, was given for him, if, uh, if he passed away, now there's Yarshim, how exactly does that work, like private real estate or like... Uh, 
and Mexico, Hitler, right? That, that, that is the point of the question. No, I'm going to get there. I want to start with the basics. Somebody gives money to a, a shul or to a school. Could he take it off of Misa? What do you say? Listen, you know, I'm sorry. This is my shul. It's my school. And um, I'm probably going to use it for the boys or the girls. But I may not. And if I don't, it's not Misa. So how do you look at it? So as, um, this is a little tricky, the way you presented the question. If someone uh, at Rebbe Ruv, a Rosh Hashiva, someone who is capable of being a Rosh Hashiva, people see it, is going to open a yeshiva and is going to use it for the rabbi, um, obviously it is, it is tzedukah and, and you can give it from, from my sir because it will be used, it will be used for, um, it, it will be used for Torah and for and for Hedach and so on for davening for Shi'ilim. So you can give it to Meisah. So it is. It does have a din of Moist Tzedakah, then, right? Right. So what would happen? The halacha: a guy gives money to, let's say, to build a shul. The shul has a building fund or a school, and uh, and they want to be mishanet for something else. They decided, you know, there's. Uh, Somebody in the school who's making a shidduch, and she's an arm, an arm of medala, and they want to help with the wedding. Could they take the building fund money and use it for that? So before before it was used for before it was used for a building, yeah, right, middle yeah. middle of uh, right. So there's uh, shyness like that, and uh, where people donated, and uh, the building wasn't finished, it was never built, or was built half, and uh, for some reason, either bankruptcy or something else. Um, got in the way. What happens uh, with with uh, what happens with the money? So if this this is a shalom hilchas tzedaka, and um, you do find that that uh, once you give something to agaba tzedaka for certain for certain thing, um, it's supposed to use it for that particular thing. It's rare, but there are cases where you're supposed to sell a sifatoida, a shri, um, for other cases, piggy and shriem, you're to sell a sifatoida, but usually you gotta keep it to that, um, to that specific, um, thing that it was collected for. If there's extra, then, uh, some, some other situation. So, so basically, you have to use it for that, except, uh, I believe the Shulamadamzon, you could be mishanid from a Kedusha Kala to a Kedusha Hamura. But but so that that's that's another that's another Indian when 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 um you have Tzedukah money Tzedukah money is not a this Heftzaikoidish that you have to be Mishana you can only be Mishana Megadisha Kala Megadisha Hamida when someone donates money for Tzedukah Megadisha Kala in, in Kedisha Hamida is not not applied. Well, the Shulchan Aruch would say in Kufnun Gimel that if the Goyva Mois to build the base HaKadash is the base HaMidrash or, uh, or Matpachas of Sefer Torah, if, if Imratzul Hashanah, I say, would say, right, you're allowed to be Mishana from Kedusha Kala to Kedusha Hamura. But you wouldn't be able to use it, let's say, my point, to Rabbi, Rabbi, what I'm trying to point is that the, the halachas of tzedakah, they're not random. They're very highly structured, and there's an entire shulchan aruch, how you're allowed to use it, what you're allowed to do it, who's the one who's allowed to do it, etc. That's what I'm trying to bring out. Right. So, so in, in the specific case that you're mentioning in, um, in Keith Me and Gimel, Right, you find in the Basyosef already where the things that you mentioned is a little different than regular. Someone donated to marry off a Yisoyma, 
and now you want to use it uh, to give it uh, for poor person, and you want to use it to buy the Hamusha machine. Over there, the, the, the discussion is, if you don't need money for a Peroichus, is it, does it have the money get a Kedishah than a Peroichus that you've been using, or only after you use it? Let's say you already bought a, a Mentele for Saifatoira or a Beamer. When does this um, higher Kedishah kick in? After, after it was used or before it was used. So that, that does make it different than, than regular Tzedukah money um, that you're just uh, donating to people for different causes and someone gave it to a specific cause, if you can change it to a different Tzedukah where you don't have to measure um, Kedisha Kala, Kedisha Hamira. Okay, so when we donate money to a Maisid, it has a din of tzedakah. You could take it out of Maisa. There are clear halachas, you know, what you could use it for. If you want to be Mishana, it's very difficult to be Mishana from the Das HaNaisin. It would, it, would, it, would, it would be some type of almost a, 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 a gezel to change it from the Das HaNaisin. However, there is a halacha, an interesting halacha, that if... Uh, if they im asu behem hadaver shegavoi sam b'shvilan they 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 did it and now they they bought it they they, they donated money for achlasa seifatayra and they made achlasa seifatayra and now there's leftovers there's leftover kalim there's tables there's lights in such a case you could be mishana the moisa lechol mashir to as long as it's a tzayrech rabim but you, the point is is that it, it, it's it's far from a hefkevelt mois mois tzedaka that's that's my point mois of a shul mois right so. Here's, so here's my question. So they gave the money, it has a din of tzedakah. What role does the Reish HaMoisid play in this tzedakah? Because the argument would be, look, if it's tzedakah, it's not yours. If it's not yours, maybe the Balabas could jump in and say, I'll tell you what to do with it. Or maybe somebody else could say, it's, it's, you, you're just sort of like, uh, maybe Tfisa would be Mahani for the other person to be able to do something. So what is the role of the Reish HaMoisid on this tzedakah? Um, very good question, but I must go back to when you started, and um, you said that when someone gives money to a yeshiva, and you said the das hanoisen is for a certain purpose. Um, the um, I forgot the words you mentioned that the, the das of the donated goes to the goes to the yeshiva. Would be would be kaveya what the, the, the das of the noisin is kaveya what it's supposed to be used for. You see that almost um, through the entire kufnun gimel. You see that that's what's the kaveya. Yes, but 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 for the purpose now exactly once it hits the the account from the moisid right. Um, it's supposed to be used for the yeshiva, but exactly for what in the yeshiva to be used, if he didn't specify, he gave a donation, and he didn't say, I'm donating on Kodesh, money for on Kodesh, then, then there is someone in the Moisid, which that brings to the question, what's the power of the Rosh Hashiva or the the Rebbe and the Bismedrish or the whoever it is. Yeah, but I would to, say, Rabbi, Rabbi Randberg, I would I would add on to what you're saying. Not only if you gave it Stam, what is the power of the Rosh Hashiva, but even if you gave it for a building fund and it wasn't exactly detailed, well, who's the person who decides how big the building should be, how many floors it should have, how many rooms it should have? Like, what is the power of the Rosh Hashiva? Is he just by accident the one who's there with the shissel, or does he really have some type of a shlita and a halachic bailus? So what we do find throughout Kifni um, and Gemul, right, starting from the Bet Yosef and the Shechonurach and the Bogarabrom, the Taz, the Noizek Island, and draw down in the Chivas, is it, 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 
depends a lot, right, on on what the understanding is of the person giving the donation. For example, if a person gives a donation for a, a rebbe, right, a rebbe lives in a shtibel because he wants to, he knows he's going to open a bismillah, he's going to be a rebbe, he's going to be freedom. Fine, he wants this elchid to have a mokam kodesh and uh, and always avoid the Hashem and so on. So he knows. This is it. This is the game. The, the, the Rebbe has sole, um, sole uh, um, control and and of of the monies. Um, when it's given, when it's given to a to a yeshiva, what's the das of the noisen? It depends. If he gave it for a building for a certain rosh yeshiva, because he knows this rosh yeshiva, he knows it can be matzliach. He thinks it should be a rosh yeshiva. Then he's giving it for the rosh yeshiva. When he gives it for for the running of the school, right? For the running of the yeshiva, and even if you say a specific a specific thing for that's what he donates it, then then it has to be kept for for that um, for that purpose. No one can go and take money that was donated from Koydish and uh, buy tissues or other uh, uh, Kiddush for that money. Yeah, my question would be more like, is, he, is, the, is the person who's now in charge, is he just a shliach of the tzibur? Is he an apotropis on the money? Does he become somewhat of a bailam on the money? Mushal, you see, let's say, by Matnas Kahuna. Even though it's, it's, it's Mom and Shalem Taivim, but the, the person who's in charge, he's the one, even though it's Matnas Kahuna, he decides, the bailam, who, which kain he wants to give it to. So it's, he's a lot more than a shliach. He's actually a bailam for this particular Nasina, which in this case would be Matnas Kahuna. So what is the halachic role of the person in charge? Is he, is he, a, is he like the person giving Matnas Kahuna? Is he like the... Uh, uh, is he like an apotropis? Is he a shliach? So that that depends a lot. Um, there's a lot of uh, moving vehicles, uh, moving parts on um, what's going to make the answer to the question. Obviously, the thought is the das, the intention. But if if um, someone opens a bismedr, if someone opens the yeshiva, he's the sole uh, balabos. If there's a kehila um, that opens a community, a shtetl, or a place that opens for the cool, it comes as kunam, and they open it for uh, for the tzibah. Uh, they might hire a shiva, they might hire a roof or someone. Then they are gabur tzeduka, which they have certain powers. They have certain powers, but it's not like they can treat it like their own um, like their own mommy. Is the uh, Shachanurah says when you can when you can change from one purpose to another purpose, but they're more like managers versus uh, versus owners. So I, we would, I'll give you an example of an afkamina. Somebody has a school, he raised the money, etc., and he wants to fire Rosh Hashiva or one of the rabbanim or the dayanim or the teachers. Somebody would come to him and say, "Listen, this money is Moish tzedakah. It's not your money. All you are is." sort of the Gabai here. Well, you're the Gabai. Well, guess what? I work here. I'm the Roshiva here. I'm the Rav here. I'm one of the teachers here. Doesn't say any place a Gabai has a right to fire a teacher. So I'm just trying to establish what is the authority that the... the now that you've said that it's really Moes Tzedakah, well, what is the authority of the person running the Moes Tzedakah so that halachically he could hire, he could fire, he could replace, he could... within the parameters of what that money was given for. 
So if that is not necessarily clear from the Shulchan Aruch, that's really what I, what I was right. searching so, for. So, right? so what, if I understand your question is, when you're asking if he has the, the power to hire a fire, he was given, he was given this job, right? The question is, uh, are, are you asking... By who? It's not, who, it's, who? There's no equity. There's, there's no bylum here. It's Moist Tzedakah. But, but you're, you're the lucky guy sitting you're, you're the lucky guy sitting by the paycheck, but who under what halachic authority do you have a right to fire hire a fire? Okay, so one second. Who who gave him that job? Is he getting paid for the job? Was he hired? He started by, it. By he the started Moses? the school. He started the school. He raised the money. He raised the money for the show. Now he wants to fire somebody. The guy says, Listen, Bobby, it's not your money. It's Moist Tzedakah. The fact that you got the money first, that's great. You, you, you're not a bylaw on it. You're a shliach of the tzibur to have a school. That doesn't give you the ability to fire me. So again, when, when you say that he opened the school, right. then he, he is, he's not the shliach in the tzibur. No, he's, when he, when he gets to, once he gets tzedakah, maybe he's just a shliach of a tzibur. It's not his money. No, when people, when people, people give money, when they donate money, that is mashmal, but it comes out from, from, from chivas. Um, from Kifni and Gimel and Rashman Tess in, in Tzedukah and uh, so on, is, is when a person opens something, people know it's his, it's his school. When he is acting, people want to open a Moishit, and out of all people, you'll be running it, you'll be running it, then you are responsible. Obviously, every person, there's a Shekhanurach on hiring and firing too, and there's a Halukhas on compensation too. You can't, because you own a company, you cannot hire and fire um, for whatever reason, or you need to have a reason. There's, uh, there's Halukhas for that too. But if someone opens a school, it's national that people know when they give that he is, he is uh, so, the So I'll share with you, the, the, the Kehilas Yaakov, of all things, in Babakama brings him a Ramshik, which is, never saw that before, that struggles with this Shaila. And he wants to say a Chiddush. He says that if there's a mitzvah that's floating around out there, and nobody's machzik in the mitzvah, such as Talmud Torah or as Oshul. He says it has a din of a matzal. He's being matzal the mitzvah, min hanor u min agayis, the kana. He says you could have a kinyan in this mitzvah. And that give that kinyan in the mitzvah allows you, when you use that moed tzedakah, it's like you become the bailam, like you created the mitzvah. It's an interesting concept, but you see, he's struggling with this. How does Moise Tzedakah give you authority? Because because it's an Ishmael Gelt. How do I? How do? So we have in America, we have a rules of corporations of a 501c3. We don't have that halachically. That's what he was struggling to find. I thought it was a very interesting. Uh... So let me ask you another question. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's 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 similar to what you were saying. You were saying if they made it there and he built it, it says once he decides, guy has a shul or a school, and uh, he ran the school for 30 years. And he turns to his wife one day and says, you know, I really want to move to Eretz Yisrael. So I'm going to close my shul here, and I'm going to take the money. It was given for a base medrash. I'm going to open up the most beautiful base medrash someplace in Yerushalayim. Or my school, I'm taking my school, I'm selling the building, I'm opening up the building for Bachram, best. I'm not taking Chasvishalim, the Shkimpruta, for myself in Yerushalayim. Can he or can he? So here is a couple of things that needs to be taken in consideration. When you say he's uprooting the the shul or whatever it is, and he's moving it over, 
what is happening with the shul over here? Is he selling it and someone is buying it as a shul? Is he selling it and it becomes residential? Depends how big it is. It was a stable in a house or a big field in a building. Um, can he make it into offices or apartments or whatever it is? What, what is going to happen? So I think Rabbi uh, Rottenberg, that's a great question. Let's go through. Let's go through all the scenarios. The guy is closing his shul. He's selling it. They're going to make an apartment building there. There's no problem. He went through the halachas of Moirid Mikedusha Kalal Hamura because he's taking it to Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's Kedusha Hamura. He's going to open it over there, and he's closing it. And all the people in the shul are going to ha- all the school are going to have to find someplace new to daven and new to learn. That's one case. Please opine on that. Second case is going to be where he's selling it to another rav or another rebbe or another manal. He's taking that money that this fellow is going him, and he's opening the school in Archstrahl. Tell us both. To 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 um, deal with the Indian of going down a level in Kedisha, which when you want to turn a shield into residential, it's a couple of levels going from whichever from ten to zero is. Um, Love Davka. I I I didn't I didn't say it correctly because if you if you sell it and you take it elsewhere, it's like you uh, you were poisoned it and you took it uh, you took it elsewhere. But um, there is a tonight that is made that um, that you should be able to to change it back if if needed. Whatever the tonight is, everyone makes a tonight when you make a a seal in a house that. That it's um, I'll deny that you should be able to to put it back if if needed. Uh, a while ago, it was more needed this denied because neighborhoods constantly moved and there was Yiddish, and then he moved down to different neighborhoods, and the children were left were left with nobody in uh, Goish neighborhoods. But I think that's that's a very common thing that uh, made made it tonight. Now the fact that um, the people won't have waited them is again the the people who donated the money for the shield is for whom did they donate it? They donated for this particular person to have a shield, to have uh, um, to have his chasidus, to have a sum. So they know it's for him. If he wants him to take it to his room, he, 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 he takes it to his room. If he, um, if uh, whatever whatever it might be, that's the das of the. Of the person um, who's, who donated it. Um, it, the same would be if he just wants to retire and close it down, and like many people do, that and they have a big house in Brooklyn, they sell it and they buy some small apartment, and then they have money to invest. So that's a retirement plan. Can he do? Can he do that? So in 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 cases like these, he probably would be able. To uh, to do that also because because that was the das of the noisen of the uh, of the uh, it was for the rebbe versus for a shield. So you're saying it depends. If it's for a particular person and the person says for sure they're only giving the money to me, they don't care what I do with it, then he would be able to move it. Is that what you're saying? And no, the question is if he didn't say nothing. Even if he didn't say nothing, then the the achievers already, the Mechasid Chok has achiever, and the Shadrach Alivi has achiever, and specifically on a, um, what would be in the case of a Rebbe, exactly what we discussed, and they gave it to him. So the assumption, the assumption is that um, it was given, that you're giving it for him, for whatever reason you want to support um, this person, you're giving it to him, and there would be no issue if, um, 
if the person moves on, um, uh, moves on, and whatever he wants to do it. Uh, with it, Atkedaikach, that let's say that the Rebbe or Shishiva, however you want to address him, passes away, and there is Yarshim. Is there Yarshim for, for, for the property? Or no, what means Yerisha? This is not a private, uh, private dechusim. Let, let's say one of his sons um, take over the Rosh Hashiva or the Reuven, the Bismedrish, and um, and does he have to buy out the brothers? And Lechoyer, he will have to buy out uh, the the brothers and pay them and pay them for the real estate. He would have to. Um, yes, that's the way it looks. From um, that's the way it looks from. Uh, the way the way it's addressed again, everything built on uh, Keith Nin Gimel and um, Keith Nin Gimel, the Nashman Tess, and um, and so on. Yeah. Um, so so let me just fin- conclude. There's a chuva from Ramosha, A lot of shoals in the Lower East Side right. closed down, and they were selling the properties. They still are for big monies. The boards. And Rav David Feinstein wrote a psak, which was circulated all over. It's actually in English. He said, my father Zetzal and I have stated numerous times that it's a halacha psuka, and I'm, assu- I'm assuming he's talking about Kufta and Gimel, that in the event of a Maised Shuler organization or any community choosing to sell its property in the Lower East Side, the proceeds of the sale must be distributed among the remaining Maistas, in, in parentheses, the yeshivas, Beis Yaakov, Mikvois, Hatzal, etc., in that community, and are not to be retained by the sellers or used in any other communities, signed by David Feinstein. Whereas he's talking about, the Shulchan Aruch is really talking about a Shtat Shul. Right. Right in the in 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 in, in you know in Zidachayv, the shul every city had its had its shuls and these shuls were owned by the communities and right. he says the monies if you ever want to sell them have to stay in the communities right all right. these shuls the Bialystoka shul and the uh, right. etc they weren't owned there was no mis- there was no Rav Bialystok who owned the shul who was the Rav Bialystoka Rebbe who they built it for but however if you go to Borough Park and you have I don't know they'll cross the street from me where I grew up there was the Kassan Rebbe. I mean, whoever davened yeah. by him was davening by the Kassan the Rebbe. They weren't davening, exactly. right? So, he, there's a, so there's a clear chiluk, and you're saying that based upon that, the psak of Reb David Feinstein is for one type of a shul, and the tshuva, let's say the Menchas Yitzchak that you mentioned, I think it's in Kavdalat, is talking about a shul where it was done because of the personality is what's driving it. Is that correct? Yes, I think the Moshe should have uh, everything here was on short notice. The Moshe himself should have achieved it someplace about a a private shield. Um, um, the difference that that's, uh, um, I think uh, it's in Simon, that someone wanted to have a besmedrish for his chassidim, and um, if he passes away, he obviously wanted, um, he says over there, if I remember correctly, he doesn't want to go into, uh, in the moments which need to be, be addressed by a business, but in, in general, the concept that the father wanted um, to, to continue and they wanted to extend or, or build a new Basmedrish, if if uh, the Mamala Mukim is allowed to do it, especially if the Rebetzin is involved, there's a uh, hundred percent they can do it. Rabbi Rotten, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. You okay, we'll see you soon. Kalta, bye bye.